Hey, if you brought a Bible or if you have the Bible app on your phone, would you open it to First uh, John chapter 4? If not, no worries. I've got it up on the screen. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed for your love. And it is your love inside of us, Christ in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that even allows us to love one another. So we thank you for that. We come resting in your grace and those truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're right in the middle of a uh, three-week series titled Friending, and I just spent all week at a preaching conference studying preaching, listening to preaching, so you could say that I am over-prepared for this message today. In fact, what I'd like you to do as we start is just turn and look at the person sitting next to you. Just go ahead, everybody in here, just turn, look at the person sitting next to you, lock eyes with them, repeat after me, get ready for the best three-hour sermon you've ever heard. And all the visitors' eyes just went, what? Um, so we're in this series called Friending. As my friend Jared put it, we don't care about trending as much as we care about friending. A wise king named Solomon said this thousands of years ago. Proverbs thirteen twenty. Read it with me. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. So the big idea we're wrapping this whole series in is show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future because you will become like those you spend the most time with. 
I just think about it. If you hang around people who are passionate, faith-filled, positive people, what's going to happen? You're going to become more passionate, faith-filled, and positive. If you hang out with negative people, this side of the room doesn't represent negative people. (laughs) If you hang out with people who are always skeptical, pessimistic, guess what? You're going to become negative, skeptical, and pessimistic. Now, I mentioned uh, something at the end of last week's sermon, and I want to grab onto that now and kind of use this uh, to swing us into this message today. Uh, And it's this idea of poverty. There's three different types of poverty. And when we hear the word poverty, we normally all have just like a distinct image in our mind. And that's only one type of poverty. And maybe just write these down in the margin. There aren't fill-ins for these. But there's three types of poverty. The first is material poverty. And we all know what that is. A second type of poverty is spiritual poverty. You can have material wealth, but if you have no eternal hope, you're impoverished. You're spiritually impoverished. And the third type of poverty is relational poverty, and it's sweeping across the developed Western world. And it seems like the more material blessings we get, uh, the more we are losing the blessings of relationships. And if you've ever been to a third world country, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've been to uh, some third world countries, and my first trip, I was just overcome with their material poverty and just felt so sorry for them. But as my visit extended, I saw how they loved one another, and I saw the hope and the joy they had, and how they lived in family and community, and pretty soon I became very, very jealous of them, because they had a quality in all their communities that we're losing here. We're losing uh, the blessings of relationships, and there's a lot of reasons why, and one of them is that in our society, in our culture, We celebrate and strive for independence. We want to be self-reliant. It's great to have national independence, to have physical freedom. But we forget that to be totally self-reliant and totally independent is to be distinctly non-Christian. When we say, well, I don't want to depend on anybody for anything. I don't want to need anything from anybody I want to be totally independent. I want to be self-reliant. And we've done that to the point that we've become distinctly non-Christian in this area because God did not create us to be totally self-reliant. He created us to be dependent on Him, dependent on His body, the church. And we're never going to be totally fulfilled until we are dependent on Him. Jesus died for us and loves the church, and together we are to serve one another, love one another, lift one another, exhort one another. And to be independent is to lose that concept. In fact, even in the way we talk, uh, I believe sometimes we don't communicate the fullness of what God wants. Uh, Because in the church we'll say, and I've said this a number of times, and uh, it's very, very true, I'll continue to say it, We say, you need a personal relationship with God. So true, I'll continue to preach it, but to leave it at that is incomplete. Because it doesn't include something that is so rich, and that is a shared relationship 
with God. One day, Jesus is walking along the street and someone shouts out a question, stops him and asks him, what's the greatest commandment? What is the number one thing? What is the key to life? And he said, and you can find it in Matthew 22, it's one of the two verses that this church is founded on, Matthew 22 and then also Matthew 28, the great commandment, the great commission. He comes back with the great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in my imagination, and I just, when I see these gospel encounters, I try to put myself there on that street. I want to experience it. I want to smell it. I want to, you know, I I imagine things around it. In my imagination, I see this guy starting to walk off and Jesus saying, wait, 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 and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the great commandment. And until he said that, the great commandment wasn't complete. And if we extract that, We don't have a great commandment anymore because it's incomplete. What's even better than experiencing God on your own is experiencing the glory and the power and the majesty and the goodness and the character of God in the context of a broader, deep, biblical community. And yet the reality is so many of us don't have that. In our church, we have so many external blessings and yet so many people internally are relationally impoverished. I'll give you three uh, quick reasons why Uh, So many are relationally impoverished today. The first, if you're taking notes, is because of increased mobility. We just don't stay in one place very long anymore. The average American moves once every five years. If you're between the ages of 20 and 40, you move once every three years. It's really hard to have a long-term committed relationship if you don't stick around. And number two is modern conveniences. We've talked about this before. Things like air conditioners, garage doors have vastly changed the landscape of relationship in our country. Uh, Before the air conditioner, where would people uh, hang out in the evening time? Front porch, in front of their house, looking at other people who are sitting on front porch in the front of their house. And people would walk by and you would talk with them. Garage doors, do you remember... Uh, It used to be, and you'll see this with older homes, there's detached garages, and you would have to pull up, get out of your car, open up the door, pull it in, get out, and so you were exposed to your neighbors, and you'd have to, now you can pull right into the bat cave and never see anybody, never talk to anybody. Another thing, uh, a more recent development that's really changing society rapidly is the increase of individualized forms of entertainment, individualized forms of entertainment. Here's what's happening. Kids used to, in the evening time, play with the kids, the neighborhood kids, on the street, in the yard, in the backyard. Now what do kids do all evening? They play on their iPad, they play video games, they play an individualized form of entertainment. With all the Apple stuff releasing this week, uh, I read an article about Steve Jobs, and it was an interview he did in, in 2010, in 2010. And uh, the interviewer asked him whether his own kids loved Apple's iPads. And Jobs replied, they haven't used them. We limit how much technology our kids use at home. And he would insist on having family dinner, no phones, no iPads, no TV on the background, and he'd put them around the table and he'd make them live in in conversation around that time. The third uh, challenge that's impacting relationships is again, we talked about this last week, the rise of social media. And we're not hating on social media. We're not against social media. 
We've acknowledged that it has tremendous blessings. But at the same time, it's just not the same as face-to-face contact. And so many of us are going through life with 300, 400, 500 Facebook friends, but no real deep friendships, people that we can call on. And we're relationally impoverished. And internally, deep down, when we're silent enough to think about it, we actually believe, yeah, something, something's not working. Something's missing. Something's wrong. Something is not as it should be. And last week, we decided that it might not just be something that's missing, but it might be someone that's missing. And this week, I would say to you that it might not be someone, but it might be a group of someones that's missing. And that leads us to our key thought for today. You are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. You might be one group of strong, committed believers that you do life with together in the highs and the lows, who lift you, pray for you, encourage you, and always have your back. You might honestly be one community away from changing the future of your family, future generations, from changing your ability to make a difference in this world. You may be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. Years ago, I plugged into a community of people within this church body. And it has set the trajectory of my life and it's changed the destiny of my life. And I have found my deepest friendships in this community, uh, friends who have been supporting one another for years. We've celebrated everything from babies uh, to birthdays to new jobs. We've led each other through tremendous victories And we've walked with each other through some of the darkest things imaginable. Things like death and depression and sin. And this community strives for perfect love. And this community within this church body, I found my wife. I would not be standing up here today without these people because there's times where I've wanted to give up. And they've been just about the only thing keeping me going. And this community of people, this band of brothers, this a coalition of couples, uh, all started with small groups. I committed to a small group when I was 17, 18, and uh, these have been kind of the core of my friends ever since. And we've been blessed to add many friends into this community, and we've done different things of duplicating groups and, and starting new groups and doing different things because we just want everybody we know to experience this. And after my wife and I got married, we felt God leading us to start a couple small group. So we did. We followed God into the unknown because we didn't know any couples that were really looking for a small group. But we felt God was asking us to do this, so we, um, we put our name on the list, and we opened up our apartment, we got everything set up, propped open the door to our apartment, and there are some couples that came into our life that night, and they have been some of our best friends, and they have seriously changed our destiny. And we've continued to step out and lead new groups and do different things and seen God move in a miraculous way in our lives. It's always been a surprise, but it's never been on accident. God's always surprised us, surprised us every step of the way. But it's always been intentional. It's never happened on accident. And what I believe we have is a modern-day reflection of a first-century New Testament community. We discover this in Acts 2. 
starting in verse 42, all the believers did what? It wasn't a half-hearted thing. It was all in commitment, love, admiration, loyal, steadfast, faithfulness to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. In other words, it was a community centered around Christ. It wasn't centered around a soccer league. It wasn't centered around a neighborhood association. It wasn't centered around a daycare or a mom's group. It was just centered around Jesus, centered around Christ. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. That's a picture of what we're experiencing right now in this service. And met in homes. That's a picture of small groups. For the Lord's Supper... And shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. You may be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. But I promise you, you don't just stumble in to this type of thing. It doesn't happen on accident. You create it in an intentional way. So what I want to do... It's because I know you all want it and you need it. I want to give you three qualities of great Christian communities. Something we'll need to be, something we'll need to make sure we don't be, and something that we'll need to do. First one we find in in Acts 2.44, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Number one, be selfless. We will need to be selfless. You cannot have biblical community, if every time you meet, you think, what am I getting out of this? So many times I hear, I'm not getting anything out of this. Well, you will never have biblical community with that mindset, and you will never get anything out of it with that mindset. Because to be fulfilled in godly community, to really be fulfilled in your friendships, to get anything out of it, you will have to think of what you can give to it, not what you can get. Let me show you a picture of this. This is my Monday night ritual. I'm leading a guy's small group at my house on Monday nights. And this is the thing, I'm not, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but this thing I go through in my mind every Monday night. My wife and I are having dinner, and I think, man, I really don't want to do small group tonight. I'm exhausted. I've been around people all day. I don't think I want to do this. I think I'll just go somewhere and have someone lead the group. Then I think, no, this isn't about me. I'm not going to be selfish in this moment. I'm going, to think, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be all there, all present, and see what I can give and contribute into this thing. And then these guys come over, and we laugh, and we challenge each other, and we have a wonderful time, and I'm encouraged, and I'm loved on. And they leave, and I think, why in the world would I not want to do that? Next week, I'm going to remember how much I really want to do this. <laughs> then next Monday night rolls around, man, I'm exhausted. I've been around people all day. I don't want to do this whole thing. And that's my cycle. And the only thing that keeps me going is my determination to not be selfish in that moment. Because if I were selfish, I would be missing out on the ride of my life. Sometimes I wonder when we leave 
our worship service, this weekend worship service that's happening right now, and after I've heard so many uh, opinions on the message and the music, I wonder, is anyone driving away asking God what he thought? Is anyone driving away saying, God, how did I do today? Did I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Did I worship you passionately? Did I open, fully open my heart and mind to your word? And did I love my neighbor as myself? Did I include other people? Did I serve other people? Is anyone asking God what he thought? So be selfless. And number two, don't be easily offended. It's easy to tell you what not to do. Right out to the side there, be quick to forgive. Because that's what it's going to take. Once you're finished writing there, let's look at this verse in Romans together. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Uh, Now, I bragged on my group of friends a minute ago. I told you some of the great things about them, but I'll tell you, every single one of us are extremely flawed individuals. And we are imperfect people that need an extra measure, every single one of us, extra measure of grace, extra measure of acceptance, and extra measure of forgiveness. I'll just be real transparent with some of the flaws in our group. There have been times in the group that we've had to hold each other accountable and pull each other out of the trap of sin. More than one time, one of us has lost our way, drifted away from their family, drifted away from our community, pursuing things that don't matter. And we've had to go to them and tell them, you're wasting your life, you're wasting your time on things that don't matter. Come back to your family. Come back to the community. Go be there for your kids. We've helped uh, take marriages that could have failed. In Acts 2 where it talks about miraculous signs and wonders, that's happening. Uh, We have seen marriages that have failed come back to life and God breathe new life into them. We have seen people who had totally given up on God, totally given up on Christianity, come back and find renewed passion, renewed salvation and hope. And there have been times when forgiveness has been tough. I mean, someone will do something and it will just rub me the wrong way. More often than not, I'll do something and it will rub someone else the wrong way. And we just have to remember, there's sometimes where I'll feel excluded or I'll, I'll be offended, and I have to remind myself, okay, I can't think of anybody who loves me more than these people. Who am I to be offended in this moment? We have to remember we're all crippled in some way. In fact, in Scripture, anytime there was a physical cripple or someone with a defect, someone blind or or deaf or had a defect in some way, the popular thought was that it was because of sin. So they would say, oh, well, that's because of your parents' sin or that's because of your sin. That's why you're that way. And there's an amazing story in the Old Testament about a man named Mephibosheth who had an accident 
and he was lame, and so society rejected him, but the king showed him love. 2 Samuel 9.13, Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem, and he ate regularly at the king's table. He was crippled in both feet. We all have feet, but when you're at the king's table, you don't see the feet because it's covered by the table of the king. Would you come under the table of the Lord? Let him accept you, cover your flaws, be in community with people around the table of the king. The third one is this. Great quality of Christian communities, we fight for each other. We fight for each other. First Peter 5, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Don't miss the connection between Satan and the lion. And we have a spiritual enemy. And he's stalking us. He's trying to pick us off, devour us, and he comes to steal and kill and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God in our lives. I've got a video clip to kind of demonstrate this. You have these lions, and they come on this herd of water buffalo. They chase them down, and no, we're not going to get the big one. We'll go after the small one. Stay alert. Watch out for your enemy. The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters, see the lions forgot that uh, these water buffalo, they stand together. (laughs) Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. What would it look like if we stood shoulder to shoulder? That we turned this back and we got on the offense. Look at that. What if we got serious about fighting for one another? What if we got serious that we recognize? What if we were alert that our great enemy, the devil, is prowling and looking for us, but we have to stand united? We have to stick together. If a water buffalo herd can stick together like that, how much more can the church of the Lord Jesus Christ band together? Don't you think we can stand, we can fight, we can be there with one another? When the enemy comes, we don't roll over. We stand up and fight because Christianity is not a playground. It's a battleground. And our enemy comes to attack. But we have each other's backs and we stand at each other's sides. And we're going to stand up for one another. And you do not go down without others. You do not want to fight alone. And this church is doing everything it can to make sure you never fight alone. You don't want to fight cancer alone. You don't want to have to parent alone. You don't want to have to figure out how to be a better husband or a better wife alone. You don't want to face death in your family alone. When I committed to this small group and to these, this group of people, I had no idea. I had no idea what was coming in my life. And none of us know what's around the bend in life. And it might feel good now, it might seem right now, and you might think you don't need anybody now, but life is coming. And you don't want to have to face it alone. 
What you want is you want the strength of the body of Christ standing with you, loving you, praying for you, encouraging you, and fighting with you. Because if you're alone, you're vulnerable. And you might not be able to get back up again alone. And some of you are alone right now, and you are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. And when you have it, it is so rich. It is so powerful. It's so meaningful. And what happens is the unbelievers in your life start looking around and they see you and they see the way that you live in this community and with these people. And they say, man, do you see them? Do you see what they're doing? Do you see how they treat one another? What is up with that? John 13, 35, Jesus said, your love for one another, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And suddenly you can say, it's not because of the good I have done, It's because of the good that God has done. It's because he's transformed us. And you can have a love like that too. It's called Christianity. And the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us so much, he was willing to die. And because of what he did, that's why we are this way. Some of you don't have that testimony. Your love for one another isn't proving to the world that you are a disciple. And you have relational poverty and you didn't even realize it. You are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. But it's not going to happen by accident. As we pray together this morning, uh, would you just stand with me? This is a picture in all our services this weekend of the body of Christ standing together with Jesus as the head leading us. We're standing shoulder to shoulder. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We stand today in your grace, one church united by your love and your mercy, one body with you as the head leading us all the way. I pray that we would be a selfless people, that we would be quick to forgive, and that we would fight for one another, that when we look at what you have done for us, we accept one another just as you have accepted us. And we fight for one another with a passion and a fire for your name and your glory. And we thank you that you have never once left us alone. You've never once forsaken us. We love you for it. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.